Well, dear congregation, I invite you to please turn your very prayerful attention to that passage of Holy Scripture that I read to you in your hearing, Second Kings and the fifth chapter. And we make our way through the book of Second Kings in our week-by-week study of God's Word. And uh, as we come to this passage of Scripture, we have so many lessons to learn. We're reminded, aren't we, whatsoever things are written aforetime, are written for our learning that we, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, may have hope. And the Lord Jesus Christ, as you perhaps noticed, I'm sure you did notice, in that second reading, you may wish to just turn there for a moment, referred to this occasion where this military general there in Luke 4, just turn to Luke 4, Notice there in the verse 24 where the Lord Jesus Christ refers to this time when Almighty God, by the prophet, giving power to the prophet to heal Naaman, did so. But he was speaking these words to very proud Jews who were in the synagogue who tried to kill the Lord Jesus Christ. These men were rejecting him and he knew they would reject him. Throughout his ministry, he came, we're told, to his own, and his own received him not, that is, his own people, the Jews. And here he is in the synagogue, he's just opened up the scroll of Isaiah and uh, mentioned those words that the Spirit of the Lord is upon him to preach the gospel to the poor and so on. And uh, they will hear this proverb even spoken in their ears. Verse 24, and he said, Verily I say unto you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you the truth, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias or Elisha. We saw that, didn't we, just a few weeks ago. When the heaven was shut up three years and six months, when great famine was throughout all the land, but none of them was Elias sent to. Save unto Sarepta, a city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. So not only Elijah, but then Elisha, he speaks of Elisha. Verse 27, and many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, saving Naaman the Syrian. Now notice And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. The truth was very painful for them. These were a proud people who were disobeying God even now. They had always disobeyed God in the Old Testament. And we need to remember that not everybody in Israel was born again. Not everybody in Israel was a true Israelite indeed. For to be an Israelite, Paul tells us, is to be circumcised in the heart. Circumcision is that of the heart, not of the flesh. Abraham, we're told in Romans 4, was a man of faith. And when we're born again, we have faith. We have repentance toward God. And simply being in Israel didn't make you a child of God. 
It didn't make you a saved person. But they took pride in their national heritage. They took pride in the temple. They took pride in the law, although they were breakers of the law. And even now, they are the blind leading the blind to eternal destruction. The willfully blind. And the Lord Jesus points out here in this very chapter that there were many lepers in the day of Elisha in Samaria. Now, Samaria is the northern part. Remember, Israel is divided in two now. Samaria in the north with the ten tribes. Israel would be also called that. Originally, twelve tribes. But you've got the two tribes in the south, Judah and Benjamin. They constitute the nation Judah. They were known as Judah. Judah, the larger of the two tribes. But Samaria, or Israel, we could say, in these days, the Lord Jesus says, there were many, many, many lepers in that land, but none of them were healed. And we have many lessons to learn this morning as we come to this passage of Scripture. And I'm going to revert back there to Luke 4 later on. Just bear in mind what I have said. We see something, don't we, of the tremendous power of Almighty God in this passage. There are a number of observations that I want us to make, and then I want to make application. The first is I want you to see that death comes to all. We know that leprosy, as is all illnesses and even age, will bring us to death. And here Naaman is a, a very powerful military leader, successful, and at the moment he is on the winning side. And what we need to understand is this, that God is using this nation, Syria, to chastise Israel, as we will see later on. This is all part of God's judgment upon Israel, to chasten them, to bring them back again. God, who is overall ascending these Syrians, and there are marauding squads invading Samaria in the north. And Naaman is the captain of the king's army, a very successful, mighty military general. But the Lord is merciful to him in an unspeakable way. I want you to notice verse 1. Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable because by him, notice, this is striking, the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. I wonder how many Jews thought of that very verse. The Lord gave deliverance to this general over even Israel, Samaria at this time. Because by him, the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. The Lord was behind it all. He was also a mighty man in valor. And then we have these words, but he was a leper. There's always, I should say, there are many buts in the word of God. Think of this man successful, well thought of by the king, 
Ultimately, God was the one that was behind his greatness. And behind every man in this world, friend. Bill Gates, these mighty movers and shakers of the world, God's behind everything. Although he does not sanction the evil in men's lives, men would not be who and what they are with an almighty God who orders everything in providence. He even said to Pilate, the Lord Jesus, thou wouldst have had no power except it were given thee. Even Judas was put in that place. And yet, he was guilty of his own sin. What he did, he did volitionally. People rise up to power, circumstance, position is given them. That's every, everything is ordered by God in this life. It's quite striking. The Lord had given this man deliverance unto Syria. Striking, isn't it? One wonders how the self-righteous Jew would have viewed these verses. Quite something. Surely ought to have humbled them. And even the words of the Lord Jesus there in the synagogue. There were many lepers in that day in Samaria, but the Lord only healed one man. And by the way, he was a gentler. By the way, he was an outsider. And he was a leper. But there's a reminder too there, isn't there? All men, great, small, it's appointed unto man once to die. All men have their end. They might be mighty in uh, accomplishing things, but every man's going to meet the grave unless the Lord comes. Solemn, isn't it? What is the Lord doing here? He is judging Samaria. In Deuteronomy 28, we have these words. And here, what is taking place, God through even the Syrians, and he will judge the Syrians, by the way, later on. It's amazing how God works. Even like he he judges later the Babylonians. He sends the Babylonians upon the people of Israel. Then he judges the Babylonians. It's amazing. My friends, only a God who is on the throne of heaven can do such things. Deuteronomy 28.5, the Lord says to Israel, The Lord shall cause thee to be smitten before thine enemies. Thou shalt go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them, and thou shalt be removed unto, into all the kingdoms of the earth. You see, Israel were in a covenant with God, but it was not a covenant of grace. If they kept their end of the bargain, all would be well. If they kept their covenant with God, it would be well. But if they didn't, terrible curses would be upon them. God would send pestilence, famine in the land. And even wicked enemies would be unleashed upon them. Now, The wickedness of these enemies is coming from their own hearts. That's one thing we need to understand. God hasn't put the wicked disposition in the hearts of people here. God never does that. But he uses and he can use the wickedness and the wicked 
dispositions of men's hearts to accomplish his good. Look at the cross. Who was it that put Christ upon the cross? He was put to death by the hands of wicked men. But to what end? To the glory of God and to the salvation of his people. You see, my friends, let us not not ever judge with feeble sense. Our views of God so often are so small. But if we would just expand our minds, read the word of God, friends, we would fall down with awe, wonder, and praise of an almighty, omnipotent God of wonder who only doeth wondrous things. That's what he's doing. He's working out his purposes. Now, you notice here, as we've already seen, God is behind these raids because of the apostasy, because of the unbelief. There's a wicked king here now in Israel or Syria. It's a Samaria in the north. We call them sometimes the Samarians because Samaria was the capital of Israel in the north. And uh, what we know now here is this king of Israel doesn't even know that much about this prophet Elisha. Never really given him time in his life. He's heard about him, but he doesn't trust in the power of God. And even now God is sending judgments. And the displeasure of the Lord is upon the land and the people. And so you notice in verse 2, a young girl is taken captive. A young girl from Samaria or Israel and led away by the Syrian general. And uh, this young girl begins to serve Naaman's wife. Naaman, again, who was a leper. It's a terrible thing to be a leper. The body would eventually decay. Perhaps limbs fall off. Lose your eyesight. And eventually it led to death. Now, you notice... Verse 2, and the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife. Now there are some tremendous things to learn from this little girl because she has such a gracious spirit, my friends. Think of it. She has been taken from her homeland, from her family. This marauding squad has come in and she is taken and now she, she has to serve this general of the army and live as a captive in this foreign land. How would you feel? And even Naaman, he's a leper. He's a leper. She's heard of Elisha the prophet because she, she speaks to her mistress about how Elisha might be able to help. Elisha, the man of God. And so here in Providence, and again, let me say what happens here is in Providence. It's everything is ordered by God. This very humble, caring, little Israelite girl was put into this man's life. And this is tremendous. It shows the grace of God, my friend. Doesn't it? 
And this man, we see in this chapter, becomes a worshiper of the true and the living God. Do you you not see, do you not behold the mercy of God? Think of this young girl. She harbored no bitterness, bereft of her family, bereft of her homeland, no hostility. Consider her tragic situation, my friend. This little girl, instead of being bitter, she thought how she might be able to do Naaman good. It's tremendous, isn't it? How he might be cured of his leprosy. So she makes the suggestion, verse 3, to Naaman's wife, and she said unto her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria? Her Lord there being Naaman. For he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. There was a, somebody listening in to all of this. And they could hear, and they go and tell the news. And of course, the king of Syria, he hears this. And of course, he highly values, doesn't he? He highly values Naaman because he's such a successful Military general, he's brought in success, but he doesn't know God's behind it all. Nothing owing to Naaman, really, because we read it earlier, don't we? It was of the Lord that he had success, because the Lord, what was he doing? He was chastising, wasn't he? Samaria in the north. Now, you notice that in the Lord's province, providence here, a letter is sent to the king of Israel and not to Elisha. Verse 5, And the king of Syria said, Go to now, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment. Now you could see how much he valued Naaman. I want this man to be alive. I want him to continue going on. So he takes all of this Silver, gold, clothing, everything, and a letter from the king, straight to the king of Israel. And this sends panic and fear into the heart of the king of Israel. Notice verse 6, And he brought the letter unto the king of Israel, saying, Now when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. And it came to pass when the king of Israel read the letter that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man doth send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore, consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. He's thinking that the, the king of Samaria is going to use this now as a pretext to war. He's doing this to to scare me. And if I can't deliver his general from this leprosy, he's going to attack me. It's going to be full all-out war. Not just marauding squads now, but it's going to be death. What a foolish king. Had he not heard of the mighty things that Elijah had done and then Elisha. We read later on of this man, how he eventually comes to Elisha on his deathbed and uh, says some rather 
sort of pious things, but he had no real faith, this king. He was a lost man. And this nation had such a rich heritage, my friends, of God's blessing, bringing them out of trouble in past years. Well, in God's providence here, Elisha hears about the king being in such a state. Look at verse 8. And it was so when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Why have you ripped up your clothes? Let him come now to me. That's, let Naaman come down, and he shall know that there's a prophet in Israel. And so what happens? Naaman is granted a passage by the king of Samaria or Israel to go down. And can you imagine what this would have been? And you notice he doesn't go with a great military band of men. Yes, he has a few men with him, but he has to go into enemy's territory. And there will be Elisha waiting for him. So this man, he goes down and meets with Elisha. Now you can imagine this complete outsider, Naaman, going into Israel now. The leader of the enemy's army must have been a fearful thing to go into that place. And we read, as I said, very few men with him, just a band of men. He's in his chariot. But what is God doing? He is humbling this man. Ultimately, God is humbling him. And this is what we see in the rest of the chapter here. And this is what really what God does with sinners, my friends. When he saves his people. He brings them to a place, a place of complete reliance. He, this man, he, he, he's dying. He's got leprosy. He's got everything to lose, as it were. If he doesn't go down, he's not going to live much longer. Now, I want you to notice, thirdly, Naaman's pride is subdued. Little by little. And it is little by little. He's got, to, he's got to go to Israel. And what the prophet is doing here is by the wisdom of God. God has already spoken. Let's understand one thing. When we, when we come to these prophets in the Old Testament, and any prophet, they, they're not doing things on a whim. They don't just have a, an idea that God might do something. But they are being led of God. In fact, when he sends him to the Jordan River, it's quite clear that God had said to Elisha, this is the place, no other place, no other river. And Elisha, you don't go with him. He's to go on his own. You're not to accompany him. So that the glory is given to God, not to Elisha, but to God. But God must humble a man. So he has come in to the land here of Israel. And it was so when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king sought, rent his clothes and so on, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore, as thou rent thy clothes, let him come down now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So he makes his passage down. Verse 9, And Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot, see, no army with him, and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. Now, 
It gets very interesting here. Elisha doesn't come out. But Elisha sends Gehazi. He sends a servant. And this infuriates Naaman. Verse 10, And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But notice verse 11, But Naaman was wroth, he was angry, and went away, and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me, and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. He wanted something wonderful. He wanted something glorious. Not to go and wash in the dirty Jordan River. This is too beneath me. What does he say? I thought he would surely, he, the prophet, would come out to meet me. Doesn't he realize who I am? Doesn't he understand how important I am? Doesn't he understand what I can do? Now, Elisha is not being proud here. In fact, Elisha is being very humble. Elisha sends him away. Elisha doesn't get the glory for this. God does. You see, the issue really here is that Naaman overrated himself. And he underestimated God. And that's so often what people do. You see, Elisha really depicts the culture, not Elisha, Naaman depicts the culture of this world. The world expects God to do their bidding and to do it their way. But Elisha here, he acts with great wisdom, doesn't he? Notice, and of course the Lord is leading him in all of this. Send him away. The Lord must have Elisha's not thought, well, this is a good idea. I'll send him to Jordan. How did he know that the Jordan had power? It wasn't the power of the Jordan. It was God's power. And God would do it his way. But you see, in that way, Naaman must be humbled. He must be brought low. And so what does he do? He gives Naaman the very opposite to what he expected. He expected the red carpet treatment when he came. Not to be met out by some servant, Gehazi. What's this? You're sending your lackey out for me? Well, he doesn't get that. And friends, let me say this. When we come to God, we come as wretched sinners. You know, many people think when they come to God, or think they can come to God, presenting all that they are. I've done this, I've done that, I'm a good person. No, there's nothing that the sinner could ever bring to God. You see, Elisha here is the representative of the Lord, and he is saying, this is where you must go. You must go to that place of humbling. Now, he says, well, what about these other rivers? Look at the other rivers that we read of here. Verse 12, are not Abana and Parfa rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? I mean, the Jordan was further too. 
These were close by, and there were the, the mighty Jordan was a rather muddy river. May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in rage. You see, God only deals, my friends, with sinners on his terms, not our terms. We must realize what we deserve, nothing. Now the Jordan is symbolic of death. Do you remember how John the Baptist was baptizing in the Jordan? And sometimes in some of our hymns we sing, when I tread the verge of Jordan, what we mean, it's significant of death. It's symbolic of that, isn't it? Death. Water. That's what baptism pictures. Buried with him in baptism, says the Apostle Paul in Romans 6. Raised with him in newness of life. Naaman, you've got to die to your pride. Naaman, you've got to die to your old self. Don't think you're worthy of anything. You see, Naaman didn't think himself as an unworthy beggar. But he's left with no choice because there's no options given here. Go. And you don't see Elisha, when he goes away wroth, you don't see Elisha coming back to him and saying, oh, sorry, I beg your pardon, Naaman, I didn't mean to say that. I'll give you another river to go to, and it's the same sinners. Christ is the way. There's no other way but him. The cross, his life, his death for sinners. What did the Lord Jesus say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said, no man comes to the Father but by me. And you see, the way of the cross is offensive to people. Just like the Jordan was offensive to Naaman. You see, this man, Naaman, filled with leprosy, and and the Bible makes so clear That's what our sin is like. It's like leprosy before God. Odious. And and the, the, the person that had leprosy was cast outside the camp. Could have no fellowship with God's people. Could not enter the temple. And it, I think this serves a very clear picture here that this man was not only an outsider, but he was struck with this leprosy, but he was a sinner like all. And the only way. Is the way that God has said. And it's the way of mercy. Now, it's amazing what the servants see, but he doesn't see it. Did you notice that? Verse 13, and his servants came near. This is after he, he walks away and, and spake to him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? I mean, they... They're saying, he's not asking you to do something great. He's not asking you to climb the Himalayas. He's not asking you to go and do this and do that. Just go to the dirty old Jordan. But it's amazing, isn't it? What people see when it doesn't apply to them. When it doesn't apply to them. 
And we must apply this to ourselves. Every sinner must humbly come before God. You see, God says, it's as simple as this, look and live. Repent and believe. The sinner says, yeah, but I've got something to give God. Won't he receive? No, he won't receive it. Not apart from his son. And again, it's amazing, is it? I mean, the, even the ungodly here, see, this is, the, the, what is the problem? The problem is Naaman's pride. That's the problem with the human heart, isn't it? Pride. It's too simple. I want a religion where it shows I'm a good person because I do all of these good works, and so God will accept me. My friends, that's the religion of this world. And this is all being done before Israel. And the Lord Jesus brings this up hundreds of years later in the synagogue. Now this man is humbled. There's an amazing change in him. He's at the Rubicon, as it were, the point of no return. He's got no option. Elisha doesn't come running after him, saying, get back, let's, let's uh, renegotiate this. The servants say, look, you're being a little silly here, in effect. What he's asked you to do is not much. So, he goes. But what's the change? Let me say this. It's amazing what some people do, even to death. Look at the two men on the cross. There's a classic example. If you've never read it, go home today and read that account of the two thieves dying on the cross. Both of them, in exactly the same condemnation, both of them dying next to the Lord Jesus Christ. Both of them. Think of it. And... At one stage, they're both railing against the Lord Jesus. It says in Mark and Matthew, they were both hurling accusations. But all of a sudden, one of them changes and turns to his friend and says, Does thou not fear God? Where did that come from? My friends, that's the new birth. That is the new birth. That is when God opens a man's eyes to see that he's on a fast road to nowhere but hell. Amen. Naaman is faced with the reality that he's a dying man. And he goes, and he washes seven times. And we read that he comes out and his flesh is like a baby's flesh. Never seen anything like it. He wasn't just healed, but he was like a new man. He was like, he had baby's flesh, he had the finest flesh there was. My friends, this is the work of God. And this is what the Lord was saying to Elisha. This is the way. And this is what God has been saying to the prophets throughout. Christ is the way. But God would eventually send his son into the world who would be the Lamb of God. So that when John the Baptist saw the Lord Jesus, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. And my friends, that's who sinners need to look to. It is as simple as that. But how hard is it 
for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's easier, said the Lord Jesus, for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man. That is a man you don't have to have a lot of wealth, but you're holding on to this world. It's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter. And then Peter says, then who shall be saved? So what the Lord Jesus turns around and says, with men it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. How is it possible? He gives a new heart. He gives new desires. You're born again. You're quickened. You're brought to see that you're a dying man in a dying and sinful world. And that heaven is everything to live for. And Christ is a savior worth loving and living for. And you let go of this world. That's what God does. Israel had the true religion, but they were so blind to these things. And you think about it, like Elisha, if we're Christians, you must be ready to be misunderstood by the world. Think of it in your own experience when you speak to lost people about their lost condition. There was no other way for Naaman to be healed but God's way. And it's the same for the lost. When we tell sinners about their lost condition, about their sin, and that Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and you tell them about that terrible condition of sin, how God hates sin, and they say something like this, but you're so unloving. I, I, I don't like what you're saying to me. What you say makes me feel terrible. You're being rude, they say. It's the kindest thing you can say, my friend. Amen. Be prepared to be misunderstood. Elisha was, but he let him go. He didn't say, Naaman, I know you're a nice guy. I'm going to try and reason with you. Naaman was not a nice man, really. He's like us all, sinners. He was proud when it came to it. He was proud. Even to his own hurt, but God changed him. Change your heart, change your mind. And thank God he doesn't give us what we want. I thank God, you know. He's not given me what I want in life. He's given me, denied me many things. Kept me for himself. Well, we move on in the text. As you notice further on in verse 15, Naaman's profession of faith. And he, Naaman, returned to the man of God and all his company and came and stood before him. And he said, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. This is his profession. He says, Look, I deny all the the gods of this world. There's only one God. They're all idols, they can't speak. It's what we read, don't we, elsewhere. The psalmist says, they're all dumb idols. They're all figments of men's imaginations, constructions of men's hands. There's only one God, God who made heaven and earth. And 
God who can heal in any way, he will. Whether it's through the dirty Jordan or bring sinners, reconcile them by the cross of his son. Only God can do it. Now notice, you see that there's this humility now in his heart. There's this brokenness in his life. And he wants to give to Elisha. Now therefore, I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant. He's come with all this silver, all this gold. And Elisha says, no, I don't want it. No, obviously the Lord has said to him, you don't take it. And there's a reason for this. Something else you notice. He wants to worship God aright. Verse 17, and Naaman said, Shall there not then, I pray thee, be given to thy servant two mules, burden of earth, for thy servant will henceforth offer neither burnt offering nor sacrifice unto their other gods, but unto the Lord. Really what he's saying is, I want to take some soil back, because he acknowledges the Lord as the God of Israel, and I want to worship, as it were, as if I'm being here in Israel. I want to worship back home. Now, there's nowhere in Scripture that teaches we have to do such a thing, but you can, you can sort of see his heart, can't you? He wants to identify with the true worshippers of the Lord. Now, he didn't really have insight into these things. God doesn't tell us that worship is to be done in a certain place or a certain way. But he's saying, look, I don't want to sacrifice to anybody else but God. As I offer up a lamb or whatever, it is to be to God. And we might think this a little strange, but it's quite interesting here. Elisha doesn't rebuke him about this. Although his faith is poor, weak, and dim. And there are times that clearly, of course, if this was blasphemy, he would have corrected him. But here, he's dim in his faith. But I want you to notice he, he has a, a sensitivity. There is what we would call, secondly, anticipated difficulty and wisdom needed. He says in verse 18, In this thing, the Lord pardon thy servant, that when my master, the, that's the king of Syria, goeth into the house of Rimmon, this is this false god in Syria, and worship there, and leaneth on my hand, so he's supporting the old king as he bows down to Rimmon, when I bow down myself in the house of Rimmon, the Lord pardon thy servant in this thing. Now, again, Rimmon was the false god of the Syrians. And his job, obviously, as the captain of the army, was to support this king as he worshipped. And he knew, obviously, that this was wrong to be in this place. Now, the interesting thing is here that Elisha doesn't comment on this either. He realizes this man is in a difficult position and he will have to come to that position himself to understand that what he is doing, and he knows he's not strong enough now, he will have to come to that position in time and make a stand. Let me say that. Christians have to make a stand for things in life. There are things that you know are wrong and he knew that this was wrong to be in this false place. And he's asking for pardon, and Elisha doesn't say anything. All he says is, go in peace. No word from the Lord. We can't comment on that any further. Is it right 
to be in such a place? Personally, I don't think so. But he would come, I believe, eventually to that place where maybe he will speak to the king and witness to the king. Or maybe when he goes back, we don't know all the details, what the king of Samaria or the king of Syria would think after he sees Naaman. Maybe. Who knows? The Lord might turn his heart. We don't know the details. But we have to leave these things with the Lord, don't we? Nonetheless, but you can see here is an enlivened soul who does not want to offend the living God. And that, my friends, is a mark of salvation. When somebody doesn't want to offend God, they want to honor God. Now, you notice, he goes his way. Verse 19, and he departs a little way. This leads to the last point, fifthly. Wickedness judged. Wickedness judged. But Gehazi, the servant, verse 20 of Elisha, the man of God, said, Behold, my master has spared Naaman the Syrian in not receiving at his hands that which he brought. But as the Lord liveth, I will run after him and take somewhat of him. He's speaking in his own heart here. And we notice he goes after him. Remember in verse 16, Elisha said twice, I won't take from you. But Gehazi goes after Naaman. And he takes with him two young men. And he says this, So Gehazi followed after him, verse 21, And when Naaman saw him running after him, he lighted down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? And he said, All is well. My master has sent me, he says, saying, Behold, even now there be come to me from Mount Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Give them, I pray thee, a talent of silver and two changes of raiments. Now notice the lies in this. My master has sent me. Elisha didn't send him. And has Elisha sent him to clothe these men at the hand of Naaman? No. Lie upon lie upon lie. Furthermore, he's misrepresenting God because what we have here in this chapter, if we learn anything, is a picture of grace. And grace can't be bought. It's the grace of God. You can't buy it. You can't pay for it. And that is the message that Elisha is sending to Naaman, to Syria. It's not just Elisha, but God. You don't pay for God's mercy. It comes freely from him. It's not earned. Let me ask you, is mercy mercy if you have to earn it? It can't be. Mercy is mercy because it is completely gratuitous, undeserved, unmerited. Now notice what is even worse. Gehazi and the young men, they take the silver and gold, they go back to Gehazi's house, and what does he do? He says, right, off with you lads now. He sends them off. He doesn't give them anything. Verse 23, we read, And Naaman said, Be content, take two talents. He only asked for one, Naaman. Uh, should I say Gehazi? Naaman gives him twice. 
And he urged him and bound two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of garments and laid upon them, that's the men, upon two of his servants, and they bear them before him. And you notice they get to the house, verse 24, they came to the town and he took them from their hand. He took all these goods from these young men who saw this lying servant say all this falsely, do all this. He says, right, you guys, on your way now. Give me the money. Give me the gold. Give me the silver. It's unspeakable, isn't it? And this man, think of it, he has seen the power of God. He has seen this Naaman who was struck with leprosy, now with a child's flesh. Did he not fear God? My friends, people can see and saw the power of Christ in his day, and yet didn't fear God. No change, you see, in the heart. But you see what greed does. I must warn you, young people, warn you. The love of money is the root of all evil. It's not money, it's the love of it. You dream about this, you dream about that. What is your life, says James? It's a vapor. You're here today, you're gone tomorrow. And what will become of you? If you serve the Lord, if you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, he'll give you all you need in life. And you'll have the happiest life and the most blessed life you could live. But without God, you're empty. And what is more, this man who took all this, walks in the door, meets Elisha, and Elisha starts to question him. Where did you go? I didn't go anywhere. Did you read the text? Lie upon lie. And then all of a sudden, he says, the leprosy of Naaman is now upon you. Not just upon him, but did you notice? Upon thy seed forever. And it's true. All who love this world are like the seed of Naaman. And you'll perish with this world. Lay not up for yourself treasures on earth, friend, where moth and rust corrupts. But in heaven. And he went out from his presence as a leper. It's a Story and a half, isn't it? But it's not a story, friend. It really happened. It reminds us, my friends, of those who despise grace. That is what Gehazi despised. Doesn't this man need to pay? Why is he saying that? Because he doesn't know grace himself. And those who don't know grace... My friends, are the most ungenerous people you will ever meet. When we're forgiven, we love much. And we love others. We forgive others. Because we know what we deserve. I close with that young girl. Think of that young lass. That young damsel. Who's behind all of this. 
how content she was. And that is a picture of the Christian's life. Wherever God sends us, he's got his eye upon us for good and not to destroy us. Can you imagine when Naaman went home and he met with that girl? One wonders, would she want to stay there continuing serving Naaman now? Or go back to the family? You see, when you're saved, you're happy to be wherever the Lord would have you to be. And nowhere else. That was this girl. That was the life too of Elisha. I don't want money. Glory to God. God will provide my needs. Some people, like Gehazi, do more damage to the gospel and to the name of Christ by their doctrine, by their proud, bombastic, proud, decrying men Instead of saying, God has been merciful to me as a sinner. That's the way, friends. Think of the witness of our life. So important, isn't it? This is what Elisha was concerned about. God is merciful to sinners. You can't pay for it. You can't earn it. And behind all of everything that you suffer in life, child of God, remember God is working everything according to his glorious purposes. And if he saved you, thank him, because it's all of grace, it's all of mercy. Amen. Amen.